I'm Zach. And I'm Michelle. And this is a Couple Games Gaming Podcast. Tonight we're going to talk about our recent plays because it's been a long time since we've recorded. Sorry for being MIA for almost a month. And then also we're going to be talking about our, our what we think are the most stressful games. Yeah, we've... We met, we wanted to record last week, but we were just too busy. And then this weekend, you know, this episode will drop a day late just because Mother's Day, we had my mom in, Michelle's a mother, <laughs> and we were just super busy. So, but like Michelle said, we're covering stressful games. So hope you enjoy the show. We're going to get things started off like we normally do, talking about our recent plays. So... What's our, one of our recent plays that's fresh on your mind, that stands out the most? It stands out the most? You know, I kind of think the newest one that we've played stands out. Our uh, Lions of Lydia. Oh yeah, Lions of Lydia. So Lions of Lydia was a Kickstarter game I backed sometime before COVID hit, I think. And it's a bag building game. Where you are, you are merchants in this ancient town. It's like the theme is, it's before coins became a thing or coins were becoming a thing, and so you start the game with like resources like cattle and wheat, and then as the game progresses, you start getting coins, which are wild resources. But it's a bag building game where you have these little meeples that go into your bag, and they're different colors. Representing the different resources. I was going to say, there's four colors, and each color represents a different resource. Right. And you only have four meeples in your bag at a time. So you draw a meeple out of your bag, you place it at one of the four gates, which represent, again, the four resources, and you get whatever colors are at that gate. So if I send a yellow meeple to the blue gate, I get a blue resource, I get a yellow resource... And if there's any other meeples around that gate, I also get those resources as well. And you're doing this. You can also send your meeple to the fountain instead of a gate. And at the fountain, you can purchase properties that go into your little tableau. And they give you certain abilities. Say, when a green meeple goes to a blue gate, I get a bonus resource. Things like that. Yeah, they make it easier to collect resources or sometimes coins, or just different. Sometimes. Or they just might be points at the end of the game. Right. Right. And so you're doing that, and you can also upgrade these properties. Once somebody has 10 upgraded properties, uh, the game ends, and you count up points, and whoever has the most wins. What do you think about it? I mean, I thought it was pretty simple. I like the how when you collect resources, you're just moving up the little track. I like when games keep track of your resources that way. You like that better than like tokens or? I think so, yeah. Because I just like moving it right up the track. You know, it's just like, okay, I got six here, I got four here, I got five here. You don't have to keep piles of stuff. You don't like having piles? Not all the time. It's a nice little change up. Yeah. The coins are actually metal in this one. I think that was, if you backed it on Kickstarter, you got metal coins. I think the, the retail version has cardboard coins, but those are... Not on a track. Those are, you know. You do get to hold on to those. I mean. Yeah. It's just the the wheat, cattle, yeah. iron, whatever. It's the typical stuff that, I don't know. I feel like a lot of games have the same type of resource. 
So it kind of follows a similar... In those aspects? Know. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. This game, it's also pretty neat. So it's a fairly light game. We play the most base version of it. It comes with a bunch of expansions that you can throw in. They're they're very small. They'll they'll add more buildings or they'll add a way to kind of mitigate what's what do you pull out of the bag because on your turn you pull a meeple out of a bag and then you have to place it somewhere. So if you didn't draw the color you want, it might throw off your strategy a little bit, but then you place a meeple and take one off the board and that's how you can kind of build your bag. So I know there's four meeples in there. If I've put two yellows in there, then there's a 50% chance I'll draw a yellow. Right, and that helps if that's the resource you're going for for that round or whatever. Right. Yeah. So what did you think about the the weight? I said, I said it was a light game. Would you, would you say it's a gateway game? I think it could be. Yeah? Maybe. It's so new and not well known yet. I feel like it kind of is going to have to see how... Like, what kind of momentum it picks up. Yeah. It is, it's definitely very, I think it's very light. Yeah. Do you think you could teach it, to, or like we could teach it to our family? Oh. That's what I think about with gateway games, like Ticket to Ride. It's more complex than Ticket to Ride. You think so? Yes. Yeah. I, do. I think it's more, it almost reminds me a little bit of, because uh, of the card collection part of it and how you're trying to go for what card go for the stuff on the cards that kind of reminds me of century yeah in century i mean i know we've played that with a few family members but then i feel like there's another element with the bag building so it's kind of like century meets another game so how's it like century oh like you're going for the cards you're going for the cards and you're going for what's on the cards gotcha i don't know it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit Okay, I see, I see. Just a very slight similarity. Yeah. And and that that's a light game. Century's light. Right. So this one's a bag building game like Orleans. Oh yeah, but it's nowhere near as intense as Orleans. Right. It's a much definitely played this before before Orleans. Okay. If you uh Yeah. Yeah, if you if you don't play a lot of board games or you know, if you do, then just expect this to be a step down from Orleans. I would in my opinion. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's cool. I'm interested to try, like, the expansions that come with it. We'll have to try those next time we play. Yeah, that's true. We did play the basic version. Yeah. But I liked it, though. It was, it's a nice one. I, I'm glad I backed it, so. But do you have anything else for Lions of Lydia? Nothing else I can think of. Okay. Um... The next one I want to talk about is one we mentioned last episode was Red Rising. I've been playing it a lot solo. Matt's been playing it a lot solo as well. You've played it with me, I think, two more times since we talked since we talked about it on the show. Yes, I've played three times total. So, so how do you feel about it? You weren't too hot on it when we first. The first, I feel like I really didn't have a good game until my third. Play. Yeah. First one, I was tired learning it, and I just, I don't, I didn't know the characters or the combinations I was going for, and this is definitely a game where I think you get better over time. 
with more plays. Yes, I do not think that beginner's luck is a thing in this game. No, it's it's definitely not. I mean, like you need to be you need to have some kind of experience to get to feel like you're improving. I I think it's not like quacks where you could just like on a whim win it. Never played before. Yeah. This is not that kind of game. Yeah, you would have to be extremely lucky, and just draw, draw really good cards that jived with each other. And uh, not get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was your... You wanted to keep cards, but you wanted to play them for their abilities. So, if you if you haven't listened to that one, you know, you should go back and listen to it. But in Red Rising, it's based on my favorite book series, Red Rising. And you are trying to build the best hand of cards. And all these cards kind of say at the bottom, you score extra points if this card is with this card. Or if this card is not with this other card or if there's so many of these cards on the board or something like that. And what you're doing is you're playing cards from your hand. So you're, you're putting them out there to where other players can get them. And then you're taking cards from other places. And so it's a kind of push and pull. It's like, Ooh, this is a really good card, but I really want to use this ability. Right. So it's definitely a, it's like a constant pull of, do I keep the card or do I use its ability? And then you're also trying to get the best combination of cards to get the most points. So, I mean, I definitely think I did the best my third play, right? Yes. Didn't I have yeah. my highest score? Yeah, you definitely had your highest score. And it was our closest game yet. I finally so. knew what I was doing, what I needed to go for, what I could do without. Because part of that, I feel like you're like, I don't know how important this card is. And then you realize, oh, it's really not that important. You yeah. don't know that until you really played. <laughs> yeah, an interesting thing. So in this game, there are certain cards that let you gain more cards to your hand. And I've found that that's the way to go. There, There's a penalty if you have too many cards in your hand, mm-hmm. but the points you get from those extra cards outweighs it, in my opinion. So you always try and go for more than Yeah, five. I always go for more than... You start with five, and you can go up to seven without penalty, and then after seven, you lose ten. The one time I excess. had more than five, you did something and made me get rid of a card. Yeah, I made you get rid of a card because I didn't want that person in my hand anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Want anything personal, babe? I know. I think that was a second play. Yeah. But that was really nice. You know, I, I forgot... I forgot what was going on, but you surprised me. And I was really surprised. I was like, oh, babe, you set up Red Rising for us. Oh, like when I set it up to play for Yeah. Yeah. I don't... Why? why why'd I never you set up games. Yeah, you never set up games. So she was surprising me. Was there know. something? You'd wanted to play... We hadn't played a game. Uh, we so. hadn't played a game in a while. And it was... It had been a... Uh, rough week or something i don't know we just hadn't played a game in a while yeah by a while we mean like you know four days it might have been a week <laughs> Maybe i don't a know week. yeah so but that I think was we had played over boss though yeah i think we had played over boss for the for the tiktok but yeah which over boss kind of leads in if unless there's anything else you wanted to say about red rising no no that was red rising Love it. It's going great. Yeah. So 
We also played Overboss. Mm-hmm. And we used a new tile, or no, we used all stuff. We, we we've with. used all the tiles, which this game's cool because it comes with 10 different types of tiles, and you only use five of them per game. And so there's there's a lot of combinations there. But we used we used one we we'd only used once or twice before the the cloud cities or I don't like the cloud cities. You don't like the cloud cities? No, Why they not? end up losing me points or just I don't feel like I get hardly anything out of them. Cuz you can't go for any other Well, it benefits you to not go for other tiles if you pick up some cloud cities. Yes. But then at the same time, if you're not going for the cloud cities and somebody's grabbing up all the cloud cities... Then they're going to win. Yeah. So, so it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. It's that push and pull. It's true. You know? So that's that was a fun... Well, I think it was funny because you grabbed a cloud city and then you were like, what do these do again? I know. I looked and I was like, <laughs> oh, no. I already have a whole bunch of tiles. This was a bad idea. But I knew you were taking them, and I can't just let you have all of them. I think I only had, like, one or two. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. But I really like Overboss. It's, I don't know, you get that Nintendo feel, and you're just building your board. There's something about games that where you build, like, something in front of you. Like, Dream Home, Overboss, Tapestry. Yeah. Yeah. I just think this theme makes the game because it's such a unique theme for a board game. Yeah. The Nintendo, old school Nintendo theme. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in this one, you're the, you're the bad guy building their, their terrain. But that's a fun one. I like Overboss. The, I mentioned Tapestry. We hadn't played Tapestry in forever. So Tapestry is a Stonemire game. It's about building a civilization. At the beginning of the game, you're given a certain civilization. I think you were the Merrymakers or something? Uh, yes, that's right. I was the Merrymaker. You were the Merrymakers. I was... I don't remember what mine were. Mine had to do with the industrialists. They, I wanted to get buildings. So in this game, there are these neat... 3D buildings that go into your capital city. So on your board, you have this capital city that's like, it's a grid where you're placing these buildings and the buildings can take up odd amount of space in your city. And so you're trying to maximize completing districts and things like that and creating rows and columns in your city to score extra points. On your turn in Tapestry, you can either advance up one of the four tracks there's military there's science there's technology there's exploration and they each do something like conquer a territory on the board or exploration you'll put a new territory out on the board like you're exploring science usually pushes you up a different track because you're you know learning the sciences and technology does a whole slew of things I went really, really big for technology this game, which I had never gone all out for that one before. Yeah, and you scored your highest game, highest score. We were pretty close, actually, right? Like, yeah, this was, first time again, ever. this was one of our closest games. I think you were within five points of me, which in this game, the points can be very swingy. 
because the you can have turns where you score a couple points or you can have turns where you score 30 points. Oh, and the, the other thing you can do on your turn if you don't want to go up one of the tracks, because those cost resources if you're out of resources or something like that, you can do what's called an income turn where you, you basically take your civilization to the next stage of their life. And so it's called tapestry because there are these tapestry cards that you play out on your map that kind of tell the story of your civilization. So I was I was like Vikings for one one age and then I was capitalists and then I was I married Michelle's state or something. So every time she went up on the technology track, I also went up on the technology track or something. Yeah, you kept inching up, but you were still pretty far behind me. Yeah. No, I definitely was. So so tapestry, it was in your top ten last year. You're right. It was. So out of the out of our Stonemire games, you ranked this one as like your second. Is it still your second or do you do you like other Stonemire games more? Uh, I think there's been others that have beat it. Yeah. I still like it. I just don't know if it would be as high as it used to be. Gotcha. I was looking, you went really big on the Explorer and the military track. Mm-hmm. And I also went pretty decent on the science, science and technology. You were doing science and technology. Sometimes I think in this game, though, you can, you if you're only playing two-player, there's less interaction going on. Like, you can kind of avoid... No, for sure. Each there's, other a little bit. I mean, not always, but... There's for sure. And on the... There's really not a way to fix that on the map. They they have a variant for the tracks. So, like, you, we went for opposite things. I went for military exploration. You went for science technology. So we pretty much weren't competing mm-hmm. on those tracks. There's a way... It's called the Shadow Empire, which you put a third a third party on each of the tracks and they advance up the tracks and steal the landmarks and things like that off those tracks. Oh, wow. So you're you're competing with a third person and you don't know what they're going to go for, really. So and we've then, never played with that just because we feel, feel like there's plenty, there's a fair amount of competition on. Yeah, it's not like there's none. Yeah. No, it's not. I am interested to play it with more players though because the board's double-sided so if you play with four or five you use the other side of the board i don't even think i realized it went up to five yeah it says five plus so people people suspect that he is a a sixth player in the works Hmm. but i don't know i don't i feel like the game would take too long if like five players i feel like you're you're pushing it. I feel like four players would be a two-hour game. Yeah. So I think it's about 30 minutes per player on this one. Yeah, I think that more than five or even five would be too long for my personal taste in board games. Yeah. But that's Tapestry. I really like it. It's it's such a pretty game, too. But you have anything else to say about Tapestry? No, I just liked that I had one of my better, my or my best 
play at it. Yeah. So I got a beat. I saw our score was 273 to 268. Oh, yeah. And that was, that was the first time both of us had broken 200 either. Usually it's only one of us or none of us. Oh. So, but it's tapestry. We need to get that one out some more. Another one we played, we played multiple times in one night was Azul. <laughs> yes, because it's kind of led into our topic. This game just like gets you so angry and just frustrated. I mean, not, not you. I mean, I'm just speaking like. Yeah, I know what you mean. Gen- in general, this, this game can just get really frustrating really easily. And just You just know things are going downhill and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, the so we we wanted a light game, and it was we were like only one game, light game Azul, looks good. We set it up and we're playing it, and I just I had the worst game I've ever had, and I, I was I was in such a bad mood afterwards. I <laughs> told Michelle I was like we have to set that we have to play this again, <laughs> and it's it's light enough and quick enough you you can. But I was just, I was, I couldn't go to bed like that. And so we played it again, and then Michelle had a bad game. And mine was horrible, and I was like, this is terrible. I'm not yeah. playing this for a while. Yeah, so Azul's fun, but it can definitely be frustrating if, if things aren't going your way. But it's a, it's a fun light one. You can pick it up at Target or something like that. It's a good one. Another light one we played was Small Islands. Yes, this one's good. I like small islands. I don't think this is as stressful or as, like, feeling terrible about how it's going kind of thing. Yeah, small islands, it's a game very similar to Carcassonne, if you've ever played that. It's a tile lane game, so you're, you're building out this map, basically, of small islands. And you also, it adds a little bit, where Carcassonne, you're you're pretty much just doing that, and you score different things by placing meeples on them. Small Islands gives you scoring cards, so you're trying to build islands in a certain way to score these points. And eventually you'll get to where you can put out a boat tile, and that triggers a scoring round, and then everybody places uh, little houses on the islands, and then you... You score the points. What's interesting though is, so I was, I was building up an island. Once you score an island, you can't score it again for the rest of the game. And so if you have a house on an island, you can't score there. I had a house on an island, and I was building up this other island, and then Michelle connected the two islands, so I couldn't score what I'd been working on. And I was like, oh man, yeah. <laughs> that, that hadn't happened before in our games. And I was like, gosh dang it. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of, like, I didn't realize. And I was like, oh, actually, that might work out really well. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a fun one. I don't know if it's been published in the United States yet. I bought it from a Canadian website. And it's because I I saw it over a year ago. It had to be two years ago. I saw this on YouTube. Somebody was like, oh, you got to get this one. It's the Carcassonne Killer, da-da-da. And I was like, that looks really cool. And I liked kind of the art a little bit more than Carcassonne, so I was waiting and waiting for a U.S. version and never came out. And then someone posted on one of the forums I follow and said it's on 
a Canadian website, so I bought it. I still like Carcassonne. I just like, I do too. Like I like having both because I think they're different. They're just different enough, you know, to where you think it's okay to have both. Yeah. No. I and Carcassonne's one you can pull out with, like family. You can pull this one out with family too. But if your family hasn't really played games, the individual scoring objectives might be a little much. Yeah. Because you have four of them. They're different each round, and it's just more to keep up with. More to go for with your islands, too. But that might be a little much for some that aren't as... Especially if you've never played Carcassonne before. Yeah, I feel like, like if you've played Carcassonne a couple times, this one... It's great. It's great, because you know what you're doing. And the, the scorecards are a nice change-up from Carcassonne. And there's an advanced variant where you can kind of build your own. Because every card has a condition and then a a way to score and you can mix those up in the advanced version. We haven't played that yet though. Hmm. So it's another one. We need to hit the advanced modes, but this is so off topic. Is our dog still outside? Our dog's still outside. And it's like storming. Yeah. He's a, we have a cut for patio, you know, he's probably on the, on the patio, but well, while Michelle's getting the dog, I'll talk about one of the, solo games I played. I played Tiny Epic Pirates. It was a it was a Kickstarter game and Tiny Epic has a line where they make these very small box games that are easy they're supposed to be easy to teach, easy to play, etc etc. They've gotten a little more complex as the <laughs> and Michelle's trying to dry her dog off, I'm sorry. Oh just dry him off, he's fine. The, like I said, they've gotten a little more complex as the years have gone on, and they all have a different theme, and they all focus on a central mechanism. This one focused on Rondell, so you move your your little captain meeple around this pirate ship wheel to take actions, and then you're sailing your ship around these islands to deliver goods or fight people or rob merchants, things like that, bury treasure. Once you bury three treasures, that's that's how you trigger the end game. I played the solo variant, and it was it was good. It was a fine game, but I asked Michelle, "Hey, are you interested in playing this?" And she said, "Not really." And I thought about the solo variant. And I said, "It's it's fine. It's good. It was a fun game, but I'm not going to reach for it." And so I ended up selling it on on eBay. So it's not a knock against Tiny Epic Pirates. It was, it was a fun game, but it's not one Michelle's going to break out, and it's not one I'm going to reach for if I'm playing solo. So I gave it the uh, the old axe, but it was fine. It's Tiny Epic Pirates. Another one we played together the other day was Meeple Land. Yeah, Meeple Land. Our fun tile placement Amusement park building game. Yeah. You're trying to collect a bunch of different attractions. The more different attractions you get and the more points you earn, it's better than having two of the same attractions. You're trying to have variety. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. The So in this game, like Michelle said, you're building your amusement park. Each uh, attraction has basically colored meeple spots, and there's four different colors 
There's pink, yellow, green, blue. Yes. And these come on buses that you draft at the end of the round. So if I'm drafting a bunch of spots that have green spots, then I'm going to try to probably get a green bus. So what can happen is we're both going for the same color and one drafts the other and things like that. When you place the meeples in your part, you get money from them. And then you keep getting money from them as the game goes on. So it's you want to fill up your park, but you also want to have a variety of attractions. And that that can kind of compete against it. It's I need I need to go for these meeples because I have these spots. Mm-hmm. But I also I have these meeples lined up at my gate because if you don't have the the spots for them, they just sit outside your gate until you do. So you might really need a lot of blues, so you might just have to take an attraction with a lot of blue meeples. Which Even though you already have it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's a fun one. It's it's definitely light for how big it is, I feel like. Do you think this one could be a more gateway level game? Yeah. It might be a little simpler than Lions of Lydia, I think. I think Maybe. it is. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's your. It has the. You know, you're trying to lay the tiles and match the the pathways, and like you are on Carcassonne. You also have to manage your money pretty well, because you you start with a certain amount and then you get a you get a decreasing amount each round. By the the last round, you get zero dollars because your park should be running itself, and so it's a fun one though. Meeple Land. I like it. I like this one a lot, too. This is one that I really wanted. You got me for Christmas. Yeah. I think it's been a solid... Solid. Solid pickup. Yeah. Good. The last one we played together was Welcome to... I believe it was the Easter edition. Yeah, we were just really late playing the Easter edition. Yeah. So, Welcome to... We've talked about it before in the past. It's been a while since we've played it. You're basically building a neighborhood, and it's a flip and write. So you, everybody has their own little neighborhood piece of paper. You're flipping three cards face up, and the cards have a number and some sort of structure that goes with them, would you say? Or? Yeah, like a fence or... A fence or a pool or a, a park, park or... Construction, Construction, things like that. And so what you do is you pick one of those sets and you write it on your paper. So maybe I'll write eight and pool. So I put the eight where hopefully where there's a pool so I can circle a pool because there's this neat, you know, every little structure has different scoring mechanisms to where you're trying to fence off a certain number of houses to score an amount of points as you get more pools in your neighborhood, you get not exponentially more points, but it... Yeah, but it definitely... It goes up, you know... At a faster rate. Right. And parks, the same thing. If you if you fill out all the parks on the row, you get a pretty nice bonus points. There's also objective cards, too. If you're the first one to obtain an objective, such as have three housed off sections of three houses or something like that or two groups of six or maybe a, a group of 
five and then four ones or something like that. They're different every time. Yeah. Depending on what you draw. This one, though, had the Easter. The Easter eggs. So wasn't one of them trying to get all the Easter eggs in one row? Yes. Yeah, that was one of the goals was to get. Yeah, really, really hard. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And the Easter eggs you also scored if you got them. And the way you scored them was very unique. So the eggs were randomly, their eggs are placed on these pads. So they're permanent and they're placed in. I don't know, kind of odd spots when you think about how you obtain them. But you get the Easter egg if you put a number on the house with an Easter egg that has an O in it. And what I mean by that is it has to either have a 0, an 8, a 6, or a 9. It has to have an enclosed O. Uh, that's the best way I can describe that. I've always thought it was a stretch. Yeah, this is, it's probably my least favorite of our Welcome To packs. Yep. Because we have like Christmas, we have Halloween, we have summer, and then you have the vanilla version. And then the Easter version. And then the just, Easter. It just feels weird playing. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, this is just, just odd. It does feel weird because the... But then two eggs, a zero... A zero is two eggs? Yeah, that didn't make sense. Like, But so, an eight is not? No, an eight is, baby. That's right. Okay. Well, an eight is, and then a zero is. But then... Yeah. It just doesn't feel consistent. Yeah, so some houses have two Easter eggs on them, and the way you get both eggs is by either placing an eight or a zero. And so I get the eight. There's two O's there, but the zero... Meh. I feel like it's kind of shoehorned just for balance or something. But it's fine. I I went hard on eggs. And I think I won. I had a horrible game. Yeah. Like, I only got one objective, and that like, never happens. Normally, I get all three. Yeah, I think you ended the game because you couldn't build or something. Yeah. Yeah. I ran out of spots. Yeah. But, but yeah, welcome to... It's a it's a fun little flipper. I think it's one of, probably one of my favorite of the roll and ride flipping right games. Yeah. That we have, yeah. It's nice. It's numbers. If you're into numbers, it's... Get the summer game out soon. Yeah. That, that one's more focused on ice cream. Yeah, you're trying to go in order. So the ice cream truck stops at every house. Yeah. But that's welcome to. Um, the last one I have on my list, I played last night solo, was Legendary. So... And this is Legendary Marvel. There's a whole slew of Legendary games. There's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Aliens, Predator. Any things. that I would like? Maybe Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know. But <laughs> I like Marvel because it's the it just has the best theme in my opinion. But you have so many Marvel games that are from. Oh, I know. I just I don't know. But it's awesome though. So in this one, Matt was asking me about this. Do I prefer this one or Marvel Champions or, you know, because Marvel Champions, I like, I do like better than this game. And the reason for it is, is probably because setup and teardown of Marvel Legendary is super time consuming. So I, I went pretty deep in Marvel Legendary a few years back. So I have a lot of the expansions and any almost any character you can think of from the Marvel universe, I I have them, 
or I have at least one version of them. There's multiple. I have Wolverine. I think I have three or four versions of him. It's ridiculous how many they printed. But it's really neat, though, because we're Marvel champions. Whenever you go up against a villain, you're going up against this villain, and this is his scheme, and this is always what he's trying to do, blah, blah, blah. You can mix and match who he's with sometimes. In Legendary... You're going against a villain. They have a, a plan that's variable, so you can change out the plans. Maybe someone's trying to blow up the helicarrier, or maybe somebody's trying to get the cosmic cube or invade Poland. There's all these different scenarios, basically, that make the game kind of feel differently. It's a deck-building game, so it's like the Harry Potter deck-building game. Was it Hogwarts Battle? Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, you, you have a hand of cards, you play all your cards, you try to hit as many villains as you can, and then you draw some more. In this one, though, it's neat because villains come out of the deck and they move across the city. If you don't take care of them, they're going to escape and something bad happens. And sometimes that the thing that's bad happens has to do with the scenario. So if a certain amount of villains escape, you lose this, you lose the game. It's also cool because it's not completely cooperative. It's actually originally intended to be a semi-cooperative game where everybody is everybody's fighting against the villain, but then at the end of the game, everybody has all the villains they defeated in a, in a victory pile, and you count up the points, and then whoever, whoever got the most points was the, the MVP of the team, you know? Yeah, so, so it's like you're against each other, but you're also working together. You're working together. You don't want to lose, right? You're, yeah. You're here. And some of those games like the, what's the zombie game? Dead of Winter. It's semi-cooperative because I have a goal I'm trying to complete. You have a goal you're trying to complete. And then we have a group goal we're trying to complete, you know? But if I have to choose between completing my goal and making sure the group goal doesn't tank, it's... Some some people, not me, will be like, well, I'm going to choose my goal because I don't want to lose. And if I'm going to lose, I'm going to make you lose. True. You know? In this game, the theme kind of fights against that. It's like, we're heroes. We can't do that. We, you know, it's all about self-sacrifice and things like that. So I, I kind of like that. But I like Legendary. I might try to downsize and sell... Because I have some characters that... I've never heard of. I'm never going to pull them out to play because I don't pull this game out a lot. And so when I do, I'm going to pull out the characters I like. I'm going to pull out Ant-Man or Spider-Man, Venom, Wolverine. I'm not going to pull out Polaris. I don't even know who Polaris is. So Yeah, this is a game that I'm like, I wouldn't care if you were like, I'm going to get rid of this. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> I think out of the Marvel games, that one... You might like, I don't know, I I got the retail version of Marvel United today, but I have to send it back because it has, it's missing all the hero cards, so you can't play the, I can't play that game right now. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I gotta send it back and try to get another copy, but I think you'll like that one. That one plays similar to Pandemic, but it's Marvel theme. You're going around the map, but the, it's, it's different than Pandemic, though, it's, so. Okay. But yeah, but that was Marvel Legendary, and 
that's it for our recent plays. We're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we're going to talk about our topic, which is stressful games. So now we're going to get into our topic of the night, which is stressful games. So we're each going to talk about our top three stressful games. So, But before we do, I have a little discussion question to ask Michelle. Is, is stress in games good, bad? I think there needs to be a certain level of it, for sure. Like I think there needs to be a little bit of tension and... You know, is this going to pan out the way I want it to or is it not? Oh, gosh, they're ruining my plans. Like I need, it needs a little bit of that. But sometimes the games I'm thinking of, it, it feels like the stress overpowers the fun. Oh, so, you, so your list is like a negative thing? I still like the games, though. <laughs> and I'm, it's not like I'm not going to play them. I just have to make sure like I'm in a mood Right. To um, handle the possible negative feelings I might have after playing. Okay. So I made mine with in good intentions of stress. The I, I also left off anger-inducing games because, like, Spartacus could... Spartacus stresses me out. Game of Thrones, well... Game of Thrones stresses me out too, but in a good way. But Spartacus, you can get kind of angry. I left those out. But so that's, I agree with you completely. There needs to be a certain level of tension in a game for it to be good. And it, sometimes it can be hard to, to ride that line between too much tension and too relaxing while you've been playing this game. So with that, do you want to get into our top three? All right, so what's your number three? I went ahead with my number three. And I I mean, I was thinking Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. You want to explain on that one? I mean, that it's a game where you're constantly trying to figure out exactly what the other person is doing or convince them not to do whatever they're going to do. There's a lot of like backstabbing potential involved in this game long that just kind of makes it a little stressful just based on how long it can it can go and you can be doing so well and then get knocked down so easily if everyone decides to turn against you which is completely possible like you could have six castles and be like on your way and then everybody could just be like no destroy them like the next turn you're like well crap Five of my castles are now gone. Like, this sucks. Now what do I do? It's like I'm starting over again. Yeah. So that and Dune Imperium to me are really similar. Well, the... You have more control in Dune Imperium. And I would argue in Game of Thrones, you have to... It's finding the right time to strike. Mm Mm-hmm. You gotta, you know, you gotta hit when the iron's hot. You can't do it too early. can't do it too early. And if you can't really do it too late... But honestly, sometimes it's better to do it too late than too early in that game because then you paint yeah. a target on your back. Yeah, and then the rest of the game, you're just you're, yeah. you're done. That's a good pick. I would totally pick that if I if I had thought about it before I we started this. But 
yeah, for some reason that escaped me. That's an awesome pick, though, babe. Yeah. So proud of you. You know. What my, was your number three? My number three was... So, I I kind of cheated. Not cheated, but this... I put I put where words because that was the freshest on my mind, but social deduction games in general kind of stress me out if you're the the bad guy. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, if you're the werewolf, if you're in secret Hitler, if you're, you know, a fascist, or if you're Hitler, if, you know, if deception murder in Hong Kong, you're the murderer, there's a, there's stress, you know, and the, the levels of stress varies from game to game and whatnot, but I was just thinking the last time we were, we were uh, playing werewords, and I was so stressed, and I felt like I was doing such a good job as the werewolf, and... And then they mapped it out to where they knew it was me. I was like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> but, but yeah, so that's social deduction games where you're trying to hide, but you people are looking for you. Okay. I mean, yeah. I like in general how you just thought of like the category social deduction games too. Yeah, it's that hard to pick be. just one. Yeah, because they all play pretty similar. I mean, you could say Secret Hitler is like that. Even Bang the Dice game. Yeah, to an extent. A little bit. Bang the Dice game, everybody's just trying to shoot each other, though. It's true. Yeah. And then the other one I was thinking of, too, was like, don't mess with Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah. For the social deduction-y. That's true. Type games. Yeah. So what was your number two? Number two was Azul. Azul? stressful yes it just doesn't go well a lot of the times i don't know it was kind of when i i don't know i told you leaving this one off completely i don't know i think too it's just because we play this game competitively so we're constantly taking what the other person needs sometimes just because we know they need it so we take it and it's just it's the bartel strategy yeah so this game started off when we first had it like pretty not super stressful and I feel like it's gotten more stressful the more we play it yeah well when you're first learning the game you I feel like you're not looking at other people's boards true you're just trying to fill in yours yeah but then you start to realize well they're going for this color so they're not going to go for this color so I'm going to take so I can leave that color out longer Mm-hmm. And then it comes like, oh, they're going for this color. If I take that color, they'll be forced to take all these colors, and they can't put that on their board. So yeah. they're going to get a bunch of negative points. And I feel like that's where we it's ended like up. evolved <laughs> to that. That's how we play now. Yeah, or that's how we play the other night. Who can get but, the least negative points? Yeah, that's that. That's how it was going. But the the next one on my list. I don't know if you've ever played, and I know you constantly want me to get rid of this game. It's 13 Days Cuban Missile Crisis. Man, that, you're not making it sound appealing to want to play. I know. Well, it's it's a two-player-only game, and it's a distilled version of the game Twilight Struggle. So Twilight Struggle is this big game that spans over the Cold War. This is a much shorter version, like a 30-minute version where you're you're vying for 
it's over the Cold War. You're trying to basically have more power. You're either US of A or you're the USSR, and you want to have more political power or more military power. But as you're taking actions to swing things your way, you're also pushing your little token up these tracks. And if you, and you can pull it down too by taking certain actions, by like pulling troops out of Cuba and things like that. But as you're pushing troops on the board, you're pushing nuclear war. And if you trigger nuclear war, then you, end, you lose. So you can either lose by losing in the tug of war or you can lose by triggering nuclear war. So that's thirteen days. Yes. Yeah, I know, I know I haven't played that one, but Yeah. Gotta we have to hurry it up because Michelle's falling asleep over here. What's your number one? My number one Ugh gosh, it was really torn between two. So Bunny Kingdom. Oh. And Smartphone Inc. No, Smartphone Inc., really? Yes, the end of that game is just It's like where to place your I feel like it I feel like the all the stress is released though as soon as everybody reveals their boards. That's and you, true. And you know you know where the prices are at, you're like, okay, I know you know how the whole round's about to go. Mm-hmm. You know? It it can be stressful. You're like, oh, are they gonna price up or price down? Or if you know how many slots you have open or available that you can go on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you see that they do, they do, and they're gonna sell my, they're gonna sell their phones there and block me out. Yeah. And that's why I couldn't decide between that one and Bunny Kingdom. Yeah, Bunny Kingdom is pretty stressful too, because you're passing a hand of card back and hand of cards back and forth and. You're like, oh, I hope that I want both of these cards. I can only take one. Hopefully, they don't take my card. You know? Yeah, and then that one, too, in Bunny Kingdom, you, I feel like planning is so difficult. Yeah, like because planning you, anything is so difficult in that. You game. don't know if somebody trashed your card mm-hmm. that you need to complete your fife or whatever, or if they just took it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good one. That's a good pick. I thought about Bunny Kingdom because it's sitting on the shelf right in front of us. But my number one has to be Star Wars Rebellion. Because it is, it's a game of hide and seek in the Star Wars universe. If If you're the rebels, you pick a planet and you're hoping that the Imperials don't come your way. You're trying to throw them off the scent of where you hid your base. And then if you're the Imperials... You're trying to fan out, find this base, but you can't spread yourself too thin and leave your your bases and things vulnerable because that's when the rebels strike and they'll score points if they do certain missions and things like that. And so and you're also trying to secure the empire, you know. So it's a stressful one. I just thought of an honorable mention was Spectre Ops. You've played Spectre Ops before. It's a game where you're running around the facility either as the hunter or the hunted. If you're the hunted, you're trying to... There's three objectives you have to hit around the board. Three out of four. And if you're the hunter, you're trying to find this person, but 
you can't see them unless they are in your line of sight. So the person that's being hunted has a sheet of paper and they're drawing where they're going on this board and you can't see them unless, like I said, unless you, you're in the, they're in your line of sight. And so. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, know, I know that one. We've, what? You're falling asleep. No, I just, I mean, sorry, the rain and the storms are all, it's just, you know, interesting yeah. evening here. But we also posted this out to our Instagram. Yes, we did. And a lot of people went with certain themes of games that they thought or would say are the most stressful. So just looking at that, shout out a few. We have the ball table who says co-op games in general are the most stressful. That's true. That can be true. It's because if you really want something to happen, but they're not doing that or they're changing the plan, that could be... Or know. just, you know, the game itself can be stressful because everything, you know, in pandemic, they're like, True. oh, if, the, if something goes here, it's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. So another one was just push your luck games in general. Bald gamer. Yeah. Anything with a timer. So Nico and the Meebles. That's true. Matt, Percy7. Programming with a timer. I guess any kind of like timer related type game. I'm trying to think like, do we have any timer games? I mean, you could argue code names has a timer in it. Yeah, That'd like where words. And... Yeah. Hey, where words was on my list. I'm right there with them. Yeah. Those are the only ones I can think of. I feel like we avoid games with timers because... When we do sit down, we either want it to be kind of relaxing or a game where you, you're you using your brain to think, not not frantic yeah. timer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Luna Loves Board Games said slow game play games. Slow game play games. Oh, like the slow game. Like games like the long game like games where you have to plant the seeds and then you know over time your plans come to fruition does that make sense like can you give an example of when we have that would be like that um i don't know you could argue maybe game of thrones like you sow the seeds like oh i'm in alliance with you and then it's like oh i'm gonna backstab you and steal two castles for the win yeah maybe and that's true. That's definitely... Yeah, I was just thinking. Right up there. We have Maya Mayan, who says, Bloomhaven and Ghost Stories. Okay. Then we have Minerva the Doodle, Minute Work, and Dead of Winter. Minerva the Doodle said Minute Work and Dead of Winter. Yeah, that's true. If Especially if you're the traitor in Dead of Winter. You know? Yeah, you're the only, you're like all on your own. Everyone else, it's like you're going against everyone else and you're all on your own doing it. And Yeah, well, you're trying to sabotage the colony and then, yeah. Discreetly. Discreetly, because you don't <laughs> want to be found out. But I've never, I wonder how it is being banished because you can vote out the, the you traitor. Who the bad person? Yeah, and then they become banished from the colony. Hmm. And they get a different objective. Yeah. 
Yeah. Minute work. We haven't played, but I want to play that one. I do too. It's Building. one of those uh, dexterity games where you're stacking meeples up. And in like all the construction parts and everything. Yeah. Uh, then we have Kelsey who says Monopoly. Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, that can be stressful in in not good ways though. Yes. The last time we played it, I played it on the Xbox with some of my old college friends. And, man, I just got, they were making trades. And I was like, guys, it's so dumb. You're giving them a monopoly, and you're not getting a monopoly. I, they weren't playing it right. <laughs> but. I think that's it. That's it? That's mm-hmm. all our stressful games? Well, Awesome. We'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of Stressful Games. Yeah, we can't wait to talk about relaxing games whenever we record the next episode. If you want to see any of these games that we are we're talking about, follow us at a couplegames.mz on Instagram or TikTok. And as always, please feel free to email us if you have any ideas questions anything to kind of throw out on the podcast yeah anything you want to hear us discuss feel free to email us at a couple games 2014 at gmail.com yeah and with that we're gonna bring this episode to a close until next time i'm zach and i'm michelle and this has been a couple games mm-hmm.